to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I'm sitting here next to James Harkin, who is sitting next to Andrew Hunter-Murray, <laughs> and then rounding off the circle in between Andrew and myself is Anna Chizinski. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with you... The man sitting next to me, <laughs> James Harkin. And if at home you can work out because there's only one man sat next to Dan, if you remember the mm. situation of us all around the table. Genius. So who is it? Me. Right. You? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, my fact this week is that animal metabolism was first proven by Antoine Lavoisier in an experiment where he put a guinea pig in a freezer. Mm. <laughs> Okay, so a couple of caveats to this. Um, freezers hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> it's the first one. Um, so it was in an ice calorimeter, um, which is a container inside another container, which is full of ice. So it's a way that people would keep things cool in those days, but it's not a freezer per se, I wouldn't say. It's kind of like a thermos flask, but it's got ice instead of a vacuum. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, but it was important that it was ice rather than a vacuum because it was the amount of ice that melted, which he measured, and that worked out how much heat was given off by the guinea pig. Uh... And it was heat just from living from the guinea pig and he realised that this was a kind of metabolism which is a bit like combustion. So combustion is where you burn organic material to get energy and metabolism is where you kind of burn sugars to get energy for the body and he worked out that these two were kind of the same thing. Mm. And he, I thought he'd sort of invented the device or was it there anyway? I don't know about that. The way I heard it described, which is quite good to visualise, is like one of those water coolers in an office um, but... So it had the guinea pig in the middle, and then it had another water cooler around it with the ice, right. and then it had another water cooler around it with snow, didn't it? Because he had to insulate the ice. I don't know where he was getting wow. huge amounts of snow, so he stuffed the outside with snow so the ice didn't melt for other reasons. It's an amazing guy, though. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he did invent that, because the guy invented so much. I yes, mean, he he's a bit new to me, I have to say, but, you know, he created oxygen. I mean, uh, and thank God for him, because <laughs> before that, it was really hard to no, breathe. He created he, carbon dioxide like we all do. Oh, yeah. He created that, but then he found the word oxygen. Yeah. Ah, he he coined. coined. Yeah. yeah. Because he... So, obviously, Priestley is the person that most people associate with oxygen because Priestley worked out that this weird thing was happening during combustion. And so he went to Lavoisier and said, hey, look at this. And it was Lavoisier who kind of explained it. But I think Priestley didn't think it was oxygen that was being generated. He thought it was deflogisticated air. Yes. Is that it? So the idea was that uh, there was this substance called phlogiston, which was in lots and lots of materials, and it really wanted to burn. So once you burn something, it was released. So basically, as soon as you burn something, the phlogiston was released, and then you just had, well, oxygen left over, but he just thought it was deflogisticated air. And I think for the next 30 years of his life, he refused to believe Lavoisier's rival and correct interpretation of what <laughs> oxygen was and continued to call it deflogisticated air. In fairness, they're pretty much the same thing, but just with one of them a way worse name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The weird thing is he did all of this stuff on his day off, which is so <laughs> cool. So he was a taxman, really. He had a vast tax organisation. He was Paris's chief taxman, basically. And he worked six hours... Uh, he worked six hours every week. Um, no, he worked six days it was a week. France. Yeah. <laughs> um, for 20 years, he worked six days a week. And he did all his science, uh, his experiments on one day a week. And he did a little bit of work in the mornings. 
And that actually led to his death, partly his job as a tax man, because he was guillotined on trumped up charges of tax fraud. Mm. But really, he'd been really unpopular since the time he suggested a wall around Paris. Uh, he suggested a seventh wall around Paris. I can't imagine why anyone would object to the political <laughs> suggestion of a wall. <laughs> he said it was to make the tax system fairer, and a lot of people said it's not that, it's to squeeze the poor. And yeah. um, it got torn down in the revolution. And Although, got, as, a, mm. as, a tax, um, as a tax collector, he was quite reformist, and I think a lot of people say that he probably wouldn't have been beheaded during the French Revolution if it weren't for the fact that he really pissed off Marat, didn't he? Who was, you know, notorious kind of quite bloodthirsty revolutionary but who also fancied himself as a scientist Um, so Marat wanted to get into the Academy of Sciences where Lavoisier was very influential and Marat believed in stuff like animal magnetism which we've talked about before where and he said he could see things like magnetism and mesmerism leaking from objects he said he saw it leaking from the head of Benjamin Franklin for instance so he applied to the Academy of Sciences with these theories (laughs) and Lavoisier said no you can't come in this sounds like nonsense to me and he held a grudge against him ever since and it was him who said as soon as the opportunity arose let's chop that guy's head off wow. he insulted me and he saw a lot of stuff leaking from Lavoisier's head oh, he did. Yeah. actually what happened was in fact this didn't happen but there is a myth that Lavoisier asked one of his assistants because he was a great scientist to watch him as he had his head chopped off and he was going to keep blinking and to see how long oh. he blinked for after oh, the wow. chop off that is so cool. Wait, but that didn't happen. It no, didn't. It's but a that's, a, that's a famous myth, isn't it? I yeah, didn't know yeah. that was to do with him. That's so cool. Just on his head, um, a century after he died, um, there was a there was a statue that was erected of him up in Paris. But no one quite noticed at the time that it wasn't his head on the statue. They'd used the wrong head. Basically, the guy <laughs> who was sculpting it um, didn't have enough money. Um, so he found a spare head. And it was the secretary of the Academy of Sciences who was there during Lavoisier's last years, and they used his head instead on the thing. I think the idea was he was going to sculpt Lavoisier's head over it. When you say they used his head, they obviously didn't like plant his head on top of a statue. You mean they used him as a model to sculpt? No, the they head. used uh, they used like an old statue head of it. Obviously, it wasn't like they the just basket had one of going spare. Heads. But not the actual, not an actual head. No, this is no, a century no, after no. it died. How many statues have actual heads <laughs> on top of them? <laughs> You can tell with a statue, if the horse has got one leg off the ground, they died in battle. If it has the person's actual head, they died in a guillotine accident. They did some weird shit back then. Guillotine accident? How did you find a guillotine accident? I keep dropping this. It wasn't even meant to be used for that. Um, It's really sad, though, because he was exonerated a year and a half after his death. That's only 18 months for a rapid turnaround in his reputation. And he had a massive funeral. 3,000 people came. There was a hundred strong choir singing and there was a bust of him which was crowned with a wreath and this huge tomb all despite the fact that his body was headless and buried in a mass grave somewhere because of the revolution yeah Wow. When he was 28, he married this um, 13 year old Mm. uh, and he put this girl to work translating scientific papers from different countries and then basically once he got all this stuff translated he then magically discovered things (laughs) wow okay she was awesome though she was so cool um yeah marianne pierrette pauls and yeah she was 13 but i think she liked him a lot and she married him to get away from marrying a 50 year old so it's kind of happy story (laughs) (laughs) it was her father who effectively got them married to avoid this 50 year old count and apparently yeah. they used to, he used to come around their house and they'd play board games together. So it's a beautiful okay. romance if you discount the 13-year-old thing. But she was scientifically 
very adept, mm. it's thought. And a lot of the stuff that he did may have involved her, but she wouldn't have been credited. She did amazing scientific drawings and stuff. Wow. Yeah. You know, there was one experiment he did where he kept a pelican full of water at boiling point for 101 <laughs> on, days. What? For what? 101 consecutive days. Well, kept... it must have been dead after the first 20 minutes. Well, the thing you need to know about this is that a pelican is a kind of specialist water container. <laughs> <laughs> How are you guys going, though? You did? <laughs> um, I quite like the fact that he was able to sort of do the foundations of metabolism off this one experiment because people have been toying with it for a very long time and it must have really annoyed one guy in particular called Santorio Santorio. Have you read about him? Mm-hmm. He um he spent 30 years using a chair device to weigh himself and everything that he ate and drank as well as his urine and feces and the idea was he was comparing the weight of what he'd eaten and that that was coming mm. out the waste products um so the whole point was to work out the foundations mm. of metabolism but 30 years and he didn't really get to a final point and then <laughs> old mate puts a guinea pig in a freezer and i, I don't think it would have been that pissed off because he'd been dead for at least 150 years oh yeah i didn't look at the birth and death date that's true um, cool actually you, i feel better about that if now. you were doing that experiment you really wouldn't want to mix up the tray on which you weigh all your food and then the tray on which you weigh all your feces would you you'd probably label them yeah (laughs) but the idea is the the logic presumably behind what he did was that he was trying to prove that what he ate weighed much more than what was coming out of him right and so obviously uh, Lavoisier's theory proven to be correct and the overarching theory of kind of existence as we have it now is that whatever goes in has to come out in some form like whatever matter goes in that amount of matter has to come out yeah. so if it's not being pooed out it's coming out somewhere else exactly and he worked out that um for every eight pounds of food he ate he excreted only three pounds of feces and he worked out that about half a pound of air was coming out of his mouth and various stuff coming mm. out of different parts of his body and this was all in his 1614 book Ars de Statica Medicina. Ars? Ars. It's obviously art. Come on. Art, as in that's Latin for art, right? Yes, it Ars. is. Yeah. <laughs> or work, or, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, did he, it, was it consistent for him? Did he, like, would he be out to dinner and suddenly feel the need to poo and sort of have to dash off to the lab? So what makes me think it's, oh, you mean did he do it every single yeah, day? Yeah, was it? I uh, don't think people went out to restaurants in the same way. Did they so not, you could, They hadn't been invented at that stage. Not really. Dinner party, maybe then. Yeah, if you invited him over to dinner, maybe he brought his contraption with him. (laughs) 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 Just left his feces tray by the door. (laughs) No dietary requirements, but I will need to weigh. (laughs) Um, So one of the things that's crucial to metabolism, which we all learned in, you know, GCSE biology is enzymes. Huge deal, right? uh, So enzymes are the thing that speeds up all metabolic processes. But I just always find it so amazing that these things would happen if enzymes didn't exist um so the enzymes are the proteins that sit there and they tell processes to happen and um they tell like different molecules to pair up with each other and process things and if they didn't exist then things would happen much more slowly so for instance there's an enzyme called phosphatase which is used for things like signaling between our cells and like transmitting hormone impulses between us totally necessary for life and uh, one little reaction involving phosphatase takes 10 milliseconds without that enzyme it would take one trillion years <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> 
<laughs> so you would still be able to eat and still poo it out. Yeah. But you're, you'd be pooing it out a trillion years in the future. Yeah, I mean more, yeah. So, which, and it's, so it's like a hundred times longer than the universe has been around. So it's a long way. If you took all the enzymes out of someone and you fed mm. them a snack, mm. what mm. would happen? So all the... The, the stuff would go into your body yeah, and your body would still try to excrete it. So yeah, you just wouldn't digest it. So you yeah. wouldn't get any of the pro- any of the energy or anything like that. So you'd just be... Reusable. Re- <laughs> you wouldn't need different trays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, I read a really cool thing about metabolism, which is about the difference between a shrew and an elephant's metabolism. Oh, yeah. So shrews have very, very fast metabolisms. Their heart's got 1,500 beats per minute, and they have to eat twice their body weight every day. Twice their body weight every single day. But um, every gram of its body uses 67 times more oxygen than a single gram of a human body. So they have incredibly fast metabolisms. They digest. Does that mean they have to breathe in lots of oxygen? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, they need way more oxygen proportional to their body than elephants do. Whereas elephants, there was this essay online about why elephants don't explode. So, <laughs> so elephants have trillions more cells on their inside, so they're they're much hotter on the inside, right? Because their insides are proportionally bigger than uh, their skins. You know, an elephant mm-hmm. is two hundred and fifty thousand times larger than a mouse, but it's only got five thousand times the surface area. Wow. So then the big problem is how to let all that heat out. You yeah, know, right. and elephants, as a result, have a much slower metabolism, so they don't burn food or fuel at the same rate. They run much much cooler than a mouse or a shrew which has you know little heaters turned up really really high and so gets through a lot of fuel really really fast so it's just that they slow their metabolism but doesn't that mean because a shrew is still covered in fur so they must be hot all the time yeah they're always running around they're just always running around yeah they're probably even hot yeah yeah that guinea pig when he got in the freezer must have been like oh thank fuck (laughs) 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 I I was reading a tiny bit about guinea pigs um, and about guinea pig shows did you, so they're quite a big thing, and they've been a big thing. Not TV shows. <laughs> Not TV shows. They're like like dog shows. They've oh, been yeah. around since the Victorian times, and now people take them really seriously. So <laughs> there are over 400 guinea pig shows in Britain every year. What? Uh, I was reading an article about a guinea pig show winner who's a person who owns lots of winning guinea pigs. He's called Tony Tancock. Tony? Uh, yeah. Tancock. Tony Tancock, yeah. <laughs> That is what a name. He's That's also right. he's also the nude sunbathing champion of Britain. <laughs> so he's got more than fifty guinea pigs, but uh, he had six show guinea pigs stolen before a show <gasps> recently. Outrageous! Um, and he thinks it's just for rivalry because actually, even the best show guinea pigs, the most valuable, the ones who've won the most competitions, change hands for about thirty pounds each. <laughs> 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 Okay, it's time for fact number two, and that is Andy. My fact is that Britain has a special team of leak detectives who listen to the sound of water using a special stick. <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it happen near my Have house. Have you? Yeah. I was walking um, with my son, and there were these two guys standing in the middle of the road, and one was leaning into a stick. It looks like a very long upside-down plunger. So mm. it, he had his head sort of in this rubbery thing. And he said no, and then he lifted the stick up and he moved about a metre down and he went, there it is, 
and I, I didn't know what the hell they were doing, so I just yeah. took my son away from it. <laughs> it's a bit so he was just plunging his ear, trying to get <laughs> some wet hair out of his brain. <laughs> they were they were using a Victorian device, which yeah. is still used today to spot leaks in underground pipes. It's obviously very hard to spot leaks because they're they're in underground pipes. So, but they do the pipes do um, the sticks vibrate when a leak is detected. And um, they're often used at night because it means that there's less traffic around, so it's easier to detect mm. a stick. So and is it is it like acoustic vibrations from the sound of the leak coming yeah. out of the thing? Okay, so that so, vibrates yeah. the stick. Yeah. Okay. And do they introduce themselves at sort of a parties? Do they just say, I'm a detective and leave it at that? <laughs> <laughs> and then it really, really bounces. Oh, thank God, my husband's missing. <laughs> <laughs> Let me fetch my stick. <laughs> Apparently it's like... Um, all these pipes make some kind of noise, mm. um, but the gurgle of water going through a pipe is uh, slightly different if there's a hole in it. <laughs> yeah. I can believe that. So they, yeah, they 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 just must know the sound really well, I guess. And it seems to work really well because in a 12 month period, from an article I read, um, they managed to find 18,000 leaks using this stick. Wow. Yeah. And it's extremely necessary. So leaks are a massive water problem in this country. We have more than 3 billion litres of water leaks per year. Thames Water, which is the biggest water provider, has 20,500 litres escaping every day per kilometre. Escaping. So, yeah, getting out. They want to be free. But it's tr- And it's treated water, isn't it? It's water that should be good enough to come out of the tap. Absolutely. Ah, right. So one-fifth of the water that's been treated that we're supposed to be drinking or using in our homes, one-fifth of it leaks away every year. I mean, it's terrible it's so wasteful it's a lot Uh, there is one way of finding leaks that's not the acoustic sticks uh, but it's sniffer dogs so they've recently been employed and i think scotland was the first place to employ them there are two cocker spaniels named snipe and denzel who again i think (laughs) really strong they feel like they've been seconded over from the murder squad yeah i don't think the water dog should be called snipe and denzel i know i feel sorry for them they should be called puddle and splash or something No, they are. And what's also sad about Snipe and Denzel is that they've been trained by these two soldiers who used to serve in Afghanistan and Iraq and did train sniffer dogs there. And these two people now decided, quite sweetly came back from Afghanistan and Iraq, and decided to start training dogs to sniff out bed bugs and then to sniff out leaks. And so this is what they do. And the way they do it is they are trained to detect tiny, tiny amounts of chlorine because obviously our water is chlorinated. Oh, wow. Um, and so they That's can tell. Awesome. Yeah, it's impressive, isn't it? So for companies, leakages in, say, even bathrooms, if you're a big company and you have huge buildings, that results in huge amounts of money being lost. So Pepsi, the article I was reading, PepsiCo, they worked out that the money that the person was being paid mm. in that one building to be the leak detective was the same amount of money, roughly, that they were saved in what they would have lost through bills. Does that mean they might as well just fire him? It does, yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't... Yeah, doesn't it cancel itself out? so you might as well just fire him. He's completely... He's redundant. Well done, Dan. Thanks very much. That guy's going to listen to this (laughs) as he walks out of the building. (laughs) It must be that they saved way more than his Yeah, it must be, right? And you presented that as though it was going to be a positive thing. I thought, (laughs) thought weirdly, it it was like, hire me, but it will be like, you're not wasting any money, you're just... It will be good... Zero because you're not losing the money. I mean, you're bringing nothing to this company. Hire me. <laughs> That's like it's like having someone. It's like Pepsi hiring someone to make a can of Pepsi, but it costs them like seventy p to, to hire this guy and then sell it for seventy p. What's the point of that? This is the actual sentence in the article. Okay. An employee there had convinced his boss that saving water would also save enough money to pay for the employee's time spent tracking and repairing leaks. 
He must do some other stuff. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe he also works in IT. That's possible. Maybe yeah. the leak is bad enough that there's water leaking and gushing all the way through the building, and so actually you're you're preventing that as well as saving and the cost damp of the water. And rooms not being used, so yeah. at least it cancels out just on the See, it did make sense. Well, <laughs> I think by enough, he, I think that might have been a misquote, and he means you'll s- save, you know, it, more than that. Yeah, more than enough. More probably. than enough. He's more missed out enough. on more than. He's, he's missed yeah. out on more. Yeah. Um, one group of not people but things that are good at looking for leaks is beavers, uh, because okay. beavers make dams, as we all know, mm. and they will always plug any leaks in their dams because it's really important that they have lots of water behind them because they use the water to hide in. Mm. And so, if they get a tiny little hole, then they'll <clears throat> immediately put sticks and stuff in. But humans don't really like dams, and so we'll often put like little tubes in there to try and let the water go through the dams, and then the beavers will kind of plug it up. And so. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so they've invented um, this thing called a beaver deceiver. (laughs) (laughs) And the beaver deceiver is like, it's almost like a triangular pipe that goes in. So it means that the flow happens way away from the dam. And so where the flow goes in, it's not enough of a flow for the beaver to recognize it. So you can't tell that there's a hole in there, even though there is a hole. That's really okay. clever, isn't it? Really Wait, so the beaver goes and sees the front of his dam and it doesn't look like there's a hole anywhere in it. Yeah, if you go, if you put a hole right in a dam, yeah. then there'll be a flow of water and the beaver will recognise yeah. it. But if you put the beaver deceiver in, yeah. then the, water, the flow of water is coming from quite a long way away from the dam itself. I and see. it's much wider there, so the flow is much less. It's more subtle. Yeah. It's been sort of dissipated. I'll be honest, clever. it's mostly about the name that I brought up. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that Japan's cybersecurity minister has never used a computer. <laughs> He's unhackable. Yeah. He's unhackable. He's unhackable. Yeah, absolutely true. Yeah, his name is uh, Yoshitaka Sakurada. He's 68 years old, and he was made the deputy chief of the government's cybersecurity strategy office. He also is looking over as the minister for the Olympic and Paralympic committee um, for the 2020 Games. And he's um, never thrown a javelin either. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this guy is so unqualified. But he was in a he was in a parliamentary committee meeting, and it was during there, just after he'd been given the post of cybersecurity minister, that he said that he had never used a computer before. Also, seemed quite confused when a USB was brought up, not quite knowing what that was. Um, so yeah, pretty astonishing that this guy has been given the post, and it's been a bit embarrassing for um, the prime minister because he was the one who gave him the post. And in fact, two days later, Sakurada actually tried to. To contradict that statement and said oh, of course I have used a computer I just don't use it at home is what I was saying I, I use it in mm. the office but nah, no mm. one really but he's, yeah. he's known for his gaffes as well he's not someone who's particularly good in these par- parliamentary committee meetings he uh, claimed that the Olympics would cost Japan 1,500 yen um, instead of 150 billion yen <laughs> um, so 1,500 yen would work out at about $13 yeah. yeah, for the Olympics. That's right. Bargain. It would be a bargain, wouldn't it? If you could do it for that much. Amazing. Yeah. Well, if the Olympics bring in as much money as they cost... Yeah, a bit like that guy at Pepsi. Oh, yeah. Oh, you giving him the job. May as well just not have the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> when he did say this about not using computers, there was a lot of people... Uh, online who were uh, taking the mickey out of him but someone did say you don't need to know how to drive a tractor to be a good agriculture minister Mm. which i think is almost a good point 
It mm. kind of is. As yeah. in the ministry, if you're a minister of something, you're tending to oversee things rather than actually using them. Absolutely. Although that's quite a slightly controversial thing people sometimes object to anyway, that the person who is most senior in charge of various ministries, like foreign affairs or defence, whatever, never knows what they're doing. Yeah. But, well, when, politicians yeah. in general don't. That's democracy for you. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to have some kind of you know system where clever people are in charge then <laughs> fair enough good luck to you but it's always weird I, so I was reading I was looking into like unqualified ministers generally but then I did think you know government ministers who are suddenly shifted to transport even mm. though they don't even know what a bus looks like uh, is quite strange and I read an interview with Margaret Beckett in 2006 uh, when she was suddenly shifted to be foreign secretary and I think she'd been environment before or agriculture before that and she openly said I'm completely flying by the seat of my pants and and she was appointed on Friday evening and she had to swap up over the weekend. Monday morning, she's just flown to discuss Iran negotiations with Condoleezza Rice. Wow. And that's, that's that's a baptism of fire. Yeah. You don't get that in most jobs. Yeah. This is weird. I'm reading a book kind of about this at the moment really? by Michael Lewis. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's called The Fifth Risk. And it's all about, you know, project management and how you fill roles. And he's writing about the Department of Energy. And the guy who got the job had previously said he wanted to shut the Department of Energy down. Well, he said he couldn't even rem- remember which department he wanted to shut down. Yeah, Rick Perry. <laughs> oh, yeah, Rick Perry. Yeah, yeah. and that then was he was hilarious. given the job. And, you know, it's so it, I think some level of knowledge is probably good. But yeah. there is an argument, isn't there? I mean, this is a bit technical and probably yeah. boring, but there is an argument that you should just have people in charge who know what they're doing. Mm. Um, but the argument against that... <laughs> <Seems> such a, <laughs> what a ridiculous argument. Well, the thing is, like, what... The, we found that democracy is better where everyone gets a vote even though people don't really understand what they're voting for and that means that everyone is kind of invested in it and so yeah. even if you make a bad decision at least everyone's invested in that bad decision whereas if you promote people who are supposed to be just good at things number one who decides who's good at stuff but number two no one else is invested in that so if things go wrong which they always do then that's when you chop people's heads off. Mm. That's fine. I'd rather chop one person's head off than us all have to go down together taking the blame. Call <laughs> <laughs> me anti-democratic. Not, yeah. I'm not saying one's better than the other, but, you know. I like experts and autocracy, so I'm <laughs> just going to flag it up. Um, so on Japanese computing stuff, mm-hmm. the Japanese government is currently engaged. It's just beginning a massive exercise to hack 200 million objects and they, 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 people, are, they're quite worried about cybersecurity right. and about the Internet of Things. You <laughs> Does know, this guy so- think he's meant to be hacking things. <laughs> <laughs> He's sitting there with a manual, this huge hacker's manual. Oh, no. well, this guy is probably, he thinks that he's hacking just 20 things. Right? <laughs> um, and so they, they, they're doing a five-year experiment hacking into Internet of Things. They've just got legal permission to do it, because obviously that's very ah, controversial. So you're talking about, like, smart things in houses and stuff exactly, like that. Exactly, yeah. Right. Well, also, so you'll just have a government minister suddenly talking through your fridge to you or something. <laughs> Why are they kind of, doing yeah, that? I mean, sort of. It's a test security, because they're very worried about about, you know the chaos that could be caused yeah. by um, by hacking into things, and you know oh. people now have web-enabled yoga mats. So yeah, really, so. yeah, yeah. So, and they've all got factory settings, and the password is always zero 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 or whatever. So what's a yoga mat doing to you that needs a smart? I thought I mean it's just a rug, isn't it? It's going to say to you, you're putting too much pressure on your left wrist, so you need yeah. to change your. You know, oh, the way see. that you're down yeah. with dogging. Yeah, you're being thing. a bit self-righteous and tedious about your yoga <laughs> lessons. Uh, <laughs> stop boring all your friends. That kind of thing. <laughs>
No, Singapore did a very similar thing, I think, which is, I think this was a couple of years ago, hundreds of hackers were invited by the government to try and hack into its defence ministry. And so, and they offered a reward. So they basically said, everyone try to crack into our security systems. And they distributed $15,000 prize money between all these hackers who successfully said, yeah, I've just hacked in here and found out that you're planning to bomb Russia tomorrow. Singapore. You should. Yeah, I know. Very surprising. Do you know that if you connect to someone else's wife by hotspot in Singapore without the permission, you can get three years in prison. Wow. Really? Yeah. Did not know that. I think the, the whole hacking thing, though, I mean, in Japan particularly, I guess it is a bit of a worrying problem because, let's say, look, Tokyo, that is really implementing the idea of robots running a lot of things. That's got to be a huge problem. Mm. So, for example, a robot last year ran for election in Japan. And it got 4,000 votes. It came third in the election. I think these things are never as far along as the makers claim. No, no robots totally. are still rubbish. And it Japan, came third. came third. Japan actually... <laughs> <laughs> that says more about the people voting for it than the robot though, True, doesn't yeah. it? That's yeah. true. I mean, America just elected a puppet. Whoa! Puppet. Yeah, sort uh, of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Japan is actually not that advanced what? in computers. Well, we, I think we must have mentioned before... But in Japan, computers aren't the norm for a lot of people in the same way that they are in the Western world. So fax is still a very big thing in Japan. Mm. It's really, really common. You wouldn't send an email naturally if you were sort of booking a restaurant or something. Or there was a journalist who went and she wanted an interview with, I think, a government minister. And they said, you can't email us to book an interview or use any computers. You have to do it by fax. Uh, if you're RSVPing, it's all by fax machine. It's So it's, I don't think it's maybe as big a deal for this guy to have said he's never used a computer because it's maybe not as much the norm yeah. in your day-to-day yeah. life. Desktops and and it's all smartphones, basically. Yeah. Do you think there's like a Japanese podcast saying that the head of digital security in the UK has never used a fax machine? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, speaking of that, um, there's only one MP. This is in 2016. There's been an election since, but I think it's still true. There's only one MP who um, doesn't accept emails from constituents. Who? Ah. Uh, and you have to send them a fax instead. Ooh. Or a letter. And that is Dr. Julian Lewis. Oh. Uh, he's one of the big Brexiteer guys. He is, yeah. Uh, and they found this out. Um, there was uh, someone called Mathamwee Nixon who um, worked for a company called Write to Them. And this is a website that lets you get in touch with your MP. And they found out that their fax machine had broken. And they tried to work out whether they had to buy a new one or not. And they realized that there was only one MP in the whole country that they needed a fax machine for. And it was this um, Julian Lewis guy. Wow. Really? That's amazing. Why? The FBI is very into faxing still. In fact, the FBI in 2017 said it will no longer accept freedom of information requests by email. It's really? only accepting them by fax again. Wow. So you can, you can either fax or use snail mail. Is that just so that people go, oh, I can't be bothered, and they really I think it, I think it's to make it a bit more difficult, mm. yeah. Um, this is a big thing in America, as in technological illiteracy by, you know, senators or, or Congress people. So when Mark Zuckerberg appeared in front of senators mm-hmm. to answer all these questions about Facebook, he was asked questions including, is Twitter the same as what you do? <laughs> <laughs> And um, if I'm emailing within WhatsApp, does that inform your advertisers? What was FaceMash? Is it still up and running? I, you know, I don't know what FaceMash is. That's a fair is. one. Fa- yeah. FaceMash was his very first site where, um, uh, yeah. yeah, it was grading. Um, I know, yeah, yeah I women. remember that, yeah. Oh, I thought it was the thing where you combined your face with someone else's. That's what I thought when you said To be it. like a baby. No, what? What, what are you talking <laughs> about? Like if you had a kid and you combined your heads oh. and you told you what your kid would look like okay yeah maybe 
Maybe I'm wrong about face mash. See, I don't know. What no, face maybe mash I'm is wrong. Either. Maybe I thought that was his first thing. Well, I think yeah. we've established it's a totally justified <laughs> question. <laughs> and well yeah. done for asking. <laughs> That's so good, though. It's like he's basically been called round to his grandparents' place, but yeah. there are a thousand grandparents there. <laughs> okay, it's time for our final fact of the show, and that is Chazinski. My fact this week is that a Mumbai businessman is trying to sue his parents for giving birth to him, and his mother has responded by saying... If she'd met him before he was born, she definitely wouldn't have done it. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this guy from Mumbai, and he said his parents gave birth to him without his consent, and you shouldn't be allowed to do that. It's wrong to bring children into the world without their consent. They're destined to a life of constant suffering uh, that they didn't choose. And so he's suing his parents. And the thing that's going to make it a bit harder for him is that both his parents are lawyers. <laughs> I read one other thing his mother said, which is if he could come up with a rational explanation as to how we could have sought his consent to be born, I will accept my fault. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's fair enough. So this is antinatalism, which I had never heard of up until this well it's quite a, a new concept yeah that... it's an amazing concept though isn't it it's just the idea that why are we alive at all we should just stop having babies but we shouldn't be upset about that we should be thinking of we're doing the universe a favor what yeah. why sorry they just think we're born into suffering that we're born into you know, pre pre if you know that you've got certain diseases in your family that you know might genetically go down that's just... a bit different no, but no, it's, it's just, just like, everything yeah i mean there's a lot of reasons as well one reason is overpopulation which is always a thing that people complain that's fair. about yeah um, uh, but the other thing is like by bringing in birth it means that you're bringing in death so it guarantees mm. that whoever is alive there is going to be some kind of suffering for them yeah i guess so and it's not it's the idea basically that uh, by having someone give birth you add something negative he says it's wrong to bring children into the world because even even he admits my life is proportionally very good uh it's absolutely fine i'm perfectly happy but i'd rather not be here it's like there's a nice room but i don't really want to be in that room well piss off then. <laughs> no no, he can't. no you can't say that <laughs> that involves dying and then he says well it's really unfair to have like me oh. with the decision of whether or not i kill myself and this actually comes from this guy who had a similarly low bar for what equals suffering so it's this guy called david benatar who wrote a book called better to have never been and that was i think about shouldn't have written the book should he he really ago. regrets it it's a bestseller but i really wish i hadn't put the effort in so he's a this really fun guy and he says that we're almost always hungry or thirsty when we're not we always have to go to the bathroom we're always experiencing well, I think this guy's got digestive problems <laughs> I'm capable of going an hour at a time without eating or drinking or going to the bathroom and I don't think I'm special I should say would you not say you're always a bit hungry or thirsty no or if not he says are you none of those things now I'm a bit thirsty, yeah. <laughs> oh no, I should never have been born. <laughs> or if that, he says, and this is something that you can't deny, Andy, he says we're always experiencing thermal discomfort. We're always a bit too hot or a bit too cold. You, ju- you literally just tell me to turn the heating down. That's true. Okay, I'm in. Or too or rather, tired? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not tired, but that's only because we're recording it about... 10 to 1 in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you said it's quite new, but the, you know this idea has been around for quite a long time. Not the name antinatalism, but um, other stuff. So mm. uh, the Encratites, which were an old um, sect, they said that um, in order to conquer death, people should de- desist from procreation. 
the Manichaeans, the Bogomils, the Cathars, they all thought that kind of thing. Um, but obviously not any of them really around now. <laughs> and yeah. that's kind of the problem with this. If yeah. it's your doctrine, then you don't really send it down to your children or it's your It's kind of all or nothing, isn't it? Unless you can persuade everyone, yeah. your idea is not going to be the one that survives. So there's a group called the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement, yeah. uh, which set up in 1991. And that Until was... 1992. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a guy called Les Knight who founded it. And it just asks people not to have children basically and he said I consider it a success every time one more of us decides not to add one more of us it needs to be the enforced human extinction movement doesn't it it's not going to work if it's voluntary <laughs> yeah actually it's um, that guy from Avengers isn't it it's the same idea. What's he called from the latest oh, Avengers? Thanos. Yeah, Thanos. Yeah. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, but you really should have done. But at the end of it, he kind of kills half of all beings in the universe. Wow. They just disappear. And the idea is there's overpopulation and he thinks that you really? know, that's the best way of doing it. And it's completely random in the Avengers. So all at once you just start to disappear half of the people. Wow. I think warn people. There's no reason not to warn people. <laughs> well, they knew because the Avengers were fighting against it. So they kind of knew that this guy was going to do something. But You should have time to set your affairs in order and feed the cat. In yeah. the event that the cat survives. Is the cat staying? Yeah. <laughs> if it's all beings. Well, if you've got two cats, you should put out one lot of food, basically. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't know because your two might both survive or they might both die. Oh, and yeah. the other thing is, if you're the one who disappears, yeah. but your cat doesn't, then the cat's going to starve to death. So actually, it's going to be more than half of the universe mm. dies because some people are reliant on others. Looks Cats like aren't reliant on us. They... <laughs> <laughs> You're right, that was a bad example. <laughs> the dogs all die, sure. I do find it an amazing concept. Like, I'm, I'm definitely... The Avengers, yeah. Yeah. Like, so what's it, I'll write down the name of that title. What was it? <laughs> but no, the, the idea of, you know, should we go on? I, I'm on the side that we should. I've You've just that. had a baby and it would be awkward it. yeah. if, yeah. <laughs> I, I've got proof that I think that. But I do, you do kind of go, well, why are we going? What are we going on for? I can see that their side of it is sort of going, what if we've actually woken up to the idea that there's all this suffering going on and our job is to be clever enough to end it completely? Yeah. The, the life is a mistake. It's We haven't seen it anywhere else. Yeah, but It's the, just such a big concept. I think the planet has got resources to give a town of, say, 20,000 people a really good time. Yeah, no, but I guess and if, if you, you just th- keep those twenty thousand people alive, we'll just have a vote, we'll ha- or we'll have a random ballot, and we'll just say you twenty thousand, you get to survive, and you're going to have a great time. You would love it if there weren't that many. You would have loved it in the Stone Age. In the Stone Age, they've recently done a study at the start of the Stone Age that in the whole of Europe there are about one thousand five hundred people. Lovely, which is about the same number as come to one of our shows. Yeah, <laughs> but that's over the whole of Europe. Yeah, yeah, that's, tra- amazing, that's crazy. Travel and parking would be a nightmare for that show, wouldn't it? If there were only if everyone from Europe was coming to it. Yes, but parking in the rest of Europe would be quite good. Oh, yeah. (laughs) If you were the one person that didn't want to go to the show, it'd be bliss, wouldn't it? (laughs) Roads are empty. Um, It is interesting. And you you having a child doesn't actually prove that you don't believe in this. It just means you're a hypocrite. It just means you're (laughs) shit at contraception. (laughs) I think Going to the meeting, guys, I messed up big time. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, a lot of us do things that we wouldn't say are morally what we believe in. Uh, In fact, the guy, Benatar, who's sort of come up with... He's got 50 kids. (laughs) (laughs) He won't won't admit. He won't tell journalists. The New Yorker interviewed him and said, do you have children yourself? And he said, I'd rather not answer that. I don't see how it's relevant to my argument. Really? Yeah. There's only evidence that he hadn't quite believed it at, you know, nine months before the time of the birth of his child. Uh, So he might have changed his mind. He might have changed his mind. That's a really good point. After he met the kid. 
<laughs> so this, that was the one thing that changed his mind. Well, this Mumbai businessman thinks he should never have been born. It's worse if your parents become antinatalists after you're yes. born. Yeah. <laughs> I should just say, a lot of these facts we've been mentioning came from this brilliant article in The New Yorker. It's called The History of Blood and would definitely recommend reading it. Just on weird lawsuits, Yeah, I didn't know about this lawsuit in the 19th century, so in 1893, where the Supreme Court got involved in whether tomato was a fruit or a vegetable. <laughs> I had no idea they'd done this. So the ruling is actually in, and it was a lawsuit that was brought by the Nix family, so they were big sellers of tomatoes, and it was against this guy called Edward Hedden. And it was to recover some fees they'd spent, some tax they'd paid on exporting some tomatoes because there was a rule that tax had to be paid on imported vegetables but not on fruit. And then they were like, well, tomato is technically a fruit, so we shouldn't have to pay tax on that. Went to court and they all, everyone got their dictionaries out in court and brought up different definitions of fruits and vegetables. And it was ruled that tomato is a vegetable. Whoa. According to the Supreme what? Court, what? you had to pay tax on it because everyone sort of thinks of it as a vegetable. I don't think it is, though. Well, it's not botanically, but they no. said that's not relevant for tax purposes. I remember reading that I think by law... In the EU, a carrot is a fruit. It is. A carrot is a fruit. Really? Is a carrot, a cucumber, sweet potato. It's because in Portugal, they make jam out of it. Yeah. And so jam has different fruit. If you're a fruit jam, then you've got certain tax rules that apply yeah. to you. And so it's got to make sure. And there's a, th- a directive that says, for these purposes, carrots, cucumbers, <laughs> sweet potatoes are all fruits. Wow. <laughs> and that's why we're leaving. So you can make a really... <laughs> <laughs> wow. There was a guy in 2006 called Alan Heckard who tried to sue Michael Jordan for $416 million on the grounds that he looked like him. And okay. this guy uh, said that it was ruining his life. He couldn't go to church. He couldn't go to the shops. He couldn't eat out without being mistaken for Michael Jordan. People were coming up to him. And he, he actually, so he paid the fee. This is the weird thing. You pay a fee to file this lawsuit. Mm, right. um, it's like $200. And he also sued Nike, Nike for the same amount because it was their responsibility as well for making Jordan famous. And weirdly, though, I've looked at the pictures and basically the similarities are that um, he's bald, like Michael Jordan. Yeah. He wears an earring in exactly the same ear, which okay. I suppose he could have removed. Exactly the same ear. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he wears Air Jordan shoes. Oh, <laughs> and always a basketball jersey with the name Jordan right the back. <laughs> wow. And did he, he lost, right? No, he won, yeah, a billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did not win. Okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said during the course of this podcast, you can find us on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, James. At James Harkin. Andy at Andrew Hunter M and Chazinski. you can email podcast at qi.com or you can go to our group account which is at no such thing or go to our website no such thing as a fish.com you can find all of our previous episodes there you can find links to our upcoming UK tour and to our European tour they are up there now we're very excited to be going check them out hopefully see you there and hopefully see you all again next week when we do another episode of no such thing as a fish goodbye <laughs>